Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. You know, Jesus talked a lot about light, how he was the light of the world. But there were three specific occasions where he used the term candle or lamp as a metaphor while teaching on this subject of light. The first one's found in Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. During the course of that sermon, Jesus used a candle or lamp as a metaphor for, for his light shining through us as a witness to the world, a witness in this world of darkness. It's in Matthew 5, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp or candle and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those, to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light or your candle shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. This is probably the one that we're most familiar with. In fact, we're probably so familiar with it, we miss seeing the other ways that Jesus used lamp or candle as a metaphor. We really are familiar with that. I'm going I'm to uh, give you a statement, and I want you to finish it, okay? And you get bonus points if you know the hand gestures to this, okay? This little light of mine. There you go. There you go, right? Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. See, the problem is candle and lamp don't always refer to that. I mean, it's, it's a good metaphor, but again, if that's, the, if that's our only understanding of, camp, of, of, uh, of uh, lamp or candle, then it might blur us from being able to see how the other ways that Jesus used it. The second time Jesus used a candle or lamp in his teaching is found in Mark chapter 4. And here, Jesus used the figure of a candle or lamp to talk about how the Holy Spirit can shed light on the truth of his word or open up our understanding to the Bible. Anytime we read something we don't fully understand. Anyone ever read the Bible and didn't understand it? If you haven't, you haven't read the Old Testament yet. Huh? Mark 4, 21 and 22. And he said to them, is a lamp or candle brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And here he's talking about those instances where when we're reading the Bible, we come to a, a place or a verse or a word that we don't understand. But according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit can illuminate or shine a light on his word in a way that can bring understanding to us. So thank God for that. So that's another way. That's the second way that Jesus used the lamp or candle as a metaphor. The third time Jesus uses the image of a candle or a lamp in his teaching is found in Luke chapter 11. And this is the one that I want us to look at this morning. Here, Jesus uses the image of a candle once again, but here he's talking about a completely different matter. Here he's talking about the, the light or the lamp or candle that is in our eye. We're concluding our short series we began last week titled Honest to God, where we've been looking at this idea of being open and honest and transparent with ourselves, but most importantly, more importantly, with God. And, and, and this is really important because oftentimes the choices that we make come from our perspective. So to make right choices, we must look at things from God's perspective, right? 
And, and this ties into the, the big idea of this short series, Honest to God. The, big, the purpose of this series, the big idea, is to challenge us to begin living our lives in front of Jesus. Everything we say, everything we do, any place we go, the recognition that we're saying that, doing that, going there in front of Jesus. The heart, as we dealt with last week, is preserved from its own failures as we walk in integrity, being, being whole and complete toward the Lord, being totally open before him. However, that openness, that openness before God is communicated. Listen, because this is huge. Our being honest with God is lived out through the window of our soul, which according to the Bible is our eyes. You know, it takes a remarkably gifted deceiver or liar to be able to look someone full in the eye and lie to them. Studies have shown that our pupils actually dilate while, while telling a liar or trying to be deceitful. That's why, you ever watch those poker games on ESPN? Those high-stake poker games? That's why some of them wear shades. Seriously, that's, that's why they're wearing sunglasses. But it's not even when we're being dishonest or deceitful. The fact is, most of us have a hard time looking people in the eyes, period, when we're just talking with them. I don't do it all the time, but I can be pretty bad about this. Ask my wife. If you didn't hear that, she said you're horrible about that. I, I don't do it consciously, but, but while conversing with someone, so oftentimes, not, not so much when they're talking to me, but when I re reply to them, oftentimes I find myself kind of looking off, you know, askance to the, to the left or to the right. right. Again, I don't do it intentionally. Now, now, all of you, next time you talk to me, you're going to be. I think pastor's eyes were dilated. <laughs> I think he was lying to me. But it, it really is a bad habit. But as difficult as making direct eye con contact with others might be, that embarrassment, that shame, whatever you want to call it, is compounded many times over when we come to the Lord because he's light. He is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness, the Bible says. And this brings us to this third instance or the third time Jesus used a candle or lamp as a metaphor in his teaching ministry. It's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter, chapter 11, so let's read it. Luke 11, verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp or candle, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, verse 34. When your eye is healthy, now we're going to come back to that word in just a minute. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, or old English says evil, when your eye is evil, your body is full of, of darkness. Verses 35 and 36, therefore, and anytime you see that word therefore in the Bible, what do you do? You need to see what it's there for. Therefore, be careful, lest the light or the candle in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So what Jesus is saying in this passage is, when, when we accept Jesus Christ as our, our Lord and Savior, he comes to live inside of us by his Holy Spirit. And at that point, there, there's been a, what, what Jesus calls a candle that's been lit in our soul, or a lamp that's been uh, turned on in our soul. And the source of its light, the sustenance of its glow, is not generated, generated by any internal source or anything within us, but rather by the life and the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, whom the Bible calls the light of the world. And once that light has been lit within us, it is sustained and maintained as we continue to look to him and his word, the one who brings us, who is light 
and brings us light and life. Jesus says in verse 33 there, nobody when they have lit a candle or when they have received the light and love of God that God offers us through Jesus Christ, nobody lights a candle just to hide it or shade it. No, you're lighting it for, it's being lit for a reason. Actually, two reasons. So you can see, and the psalmist says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. But also so others can, so we can see, but also so others can see. See the light of Jesus Christ shining in and through us. Then notice Jesus' comment in the very next verse, in verse 34. He says, your eye is the lamp or candle of your body. Now, this is referring to, to our, our life, our life. The, 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 eye, besides being the, or, the eye, besides being the organ of vision, is the seat of expression, revealing our, our inward, revealing what's inside of us, basically. Jesus continues, when your eye is healthy. Now, King James, the old English says, when thine eye is single, when thine eye is single, your whole body is full of light, but when it, when it is bad or evil, your body is full of darkness. In other words, Jesus is saying that our eyes are like a window to our soul. We, we've all had to look through a dirty or dusty or smeared window before, right? And it's hard to get a clear, accurate picture of what's on the other side of the window. If a window's clean and clear, then the light floods through there and we can see clearly. If a window's dirty or smudged or even darkened out, then that light is hindered from shining through and we can't see as clearly as we should. But, but notice, notice Jesus' very next statement. It's actually a warning in verse 35. Therefore, be careful. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Okay, a couple of things here. First, I'm thinking that if Jesus tells us to be careful about something, we probably better find out what that is, right? right? What, he, what he's trying to warn us about, what, what are you, Jesus, be, be careful about what? what? What are you trying to say here? Well, he just told us about our eyes being dirty, smudged, or unhealthy, where we can't see clearly. Because according to Jesus, that's a category of darkness that we don't want to go to. We want to stay away from that category of darkness. But what's that statement? Lest the light in you, lest the light in you be darkness. What, what exactly does that mean, Jesus? Lest the light in you be darkness. What Jesus is saying here, and, and this is actually a pretty sobering thought, but in those areas of our life where light is supposed to be, but we have shaded or tried to hide from the light of God's glory or from the light of his word, that darkness is worse than people who are just ignorantly living in darkness. They, see, they don't know they're living in darkness. We, on the other hand, if we willingly, knowingly choose to hide or shade certain areas of our life from the light of God's presence, according to Jesus, we're in worse shape than the lost people. Why? Because we know, we know those areas are in darkness, but we've simply learned to accommodate that darkness. You actually understand this better than you might realize because we've all been in a situation where we walked into a dark room and when we first walked in from the light, you couldn't see anything, right? It, it, it took you a few minutes for your eyes to adjust to the darkness, right? And even though we still might not be able to see clearly, we can see well enough to get by, right? See, that's the scary part. How many of us have allowed darkness into our lives, into our souls, but we didn't even recognize it anymore because the eye of our soul is too diseased, too sick to see the light of Christ. And the longer that we walk in that direction, the more our eyes will adjust 
to the darkness that we've allowed into our lives. And the scary thing is we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can get by serving God like that, and we can't. We can't. Because at some point, listen, dear ones, at some point, our walking in darkness is going to catch up with us. Not unlike when the power goes out in the middle of the night, you get up looking for a flashlight or a candle, something to help you see and get your bearings. But see, even when your eyes adjust and, 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 you, start, and you start groping around, even then, even though you can kind of get around, you can still stub your toe, can't you? You can still hurt yourself. Only what Jesus is talking about here is much more consequential than stubbing our toe. If I'm thinking that I'm living in the light, but in reality I've shaded the light because it's inconvenient to me, or it exposes that hidden sin or that darkness that I've allowed in and have learned to accommodate, at that point, I'm living in the twilight zone of an experience that, that does not walk fully open before God, looking God eye to eye, as it were. I've allowed just enough light coming in on the slant, so to speak, to kind of give a, a, a misty gray in my soul. And where light has entered and there's still darkness that is tolerated, not darkness undiscovered, right? Not darkness undiscovered because we haven't found it yet, no. But darkness that I know is there, but I'm choosing to shade it, hide it from God. Kind of a, kind of a, a side glance to the Almighty. It's not a matter of turning away from or turning your back on God. We know better than that, right? We know better than to turn our back on God. At this point, when we come before the Father, we take the posture of, Lord, just, just let your light shine, but just let it shine over here. Not over here. Here, let, let it shine on my good side, God. Not on those things that we don't want you to expose. The old English expression if your or if thine eye be single, introduces us to a very powerful word picture. The Greek word that Luke used here is this word here. It's, it's aplus, hoplus, is the English transliteration. Actually, Greek doesn't have an H. They have a little mark they put on there for the sound, but hoplus. Jesus said, if your eye be healthy or single, hoplus, the whole body is full of light. If it be bad, or some translations say evil, the body's full of darkness. And the basic idea of evil here is, is the disintegrating influence of something that is degenerate. Not life-giving, but life-taking, right? Here Jesus says, if your eye is given to what disintegrates life or what is non-life-giving, like we were dealing with last week and with integrity of heart, that which splinters, that which fractures, that which fragmates, fragments, here Jesus tells us that if your eye is given to what disintegrates, what destroys, what erodes, then your body is in darkness, shaded and shadowed. But if your eye is single, he says hoplus, that word that Luke used here is a compound word. In the Greek language, there's, the, there's this grammatical nuance called this alpha privative. You don't need to remember that. But basically, it, it's when uh, the, the, the first letter of their alphabet, it would be R-A, but alpha, when an alpha is placed in front of another word, in certain instances, it actually reverses the meaning of that word or makes it give it the, the exact opposite meaning. Right? One of the, uh, I guess, the, the English word that would come to mind, the only one that I could think of, was typical. Typical it means representative or characteristic of a type or a group. Place an A in front of that 
atypical, atypical, means it's not representative or characteristic of a type or group. Now, don't lose me here because this is important. The word plus in the Greek language means folded. It means folded. By placing an alpha in front of it, hoplus, it changes the meaning of the word from folded to unfolded. Thus, the literal translation of that statement by Jesus was, don't let your eye be folded before God. Now, see, to us, that doesn't make much sense. But Jesus' audience would have understood exactly what he meant there. Here's why. Back at that time in that culture, it was common when at the marketplace, when, when, when merchants who sold clothing or fabric, right, they, they would oftentimes, when someone would come by and be looking at some, some material, the merchants would pick up that material that they were looking at and, and just kind of begin to show it to them, you know, unfold it, and, and, and let them see the product that they were buying, right? See if there were any flaws or anything, right? Now, it didn't mean that if it had flaws, that didn't mean you, you couldn't buy it. It's just that you knew what you were getting, so it was sold at a discounted price, right? But there were also deceitful merchants, slick salesmen, as it were, who knew how to very cleverly, by sleight of hand and smoothness, take the inexperienced, uh, woven, and this, this handle this material in a way where he would fold it. He would fold it in a way that would hide the flaws in the garment. Okay? So then the person would take it home, and then they get it, and they'd open it up and unfold it, and they realize, hey, I've got a flawed piece of material here. But then when they try to take it back to the to the marketplace, to the merchant. Hey, hey, you know what? I unfolded it before you. You knew what you were buying, right? Sorry, you can't expect me to take that back now. Jesus says, let your eye be not slick in shading and shadowing and trying to hide those areas of your life that need to be exposed to the light of God's word. He's talking about a countenance that's totally open before God. Eyes that behold the Father's face. Listen to this. Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He didn't say blessed are the pure in life, because that would eliminate all of us from the possibility of ever seeing God. But he said, blessed are the pure in heart. That's why we need to come before God, bring our heart before him, and look him full on, eye to eye, as it were, with a heart that is unfolded before him, completely open. Full openness, no shadows, no, no sideways glances when we come before God. No areas that we're trying to shade from him. It, it, it's that thing of like, you know, trying to, to sweep the dust under the rug kind of thing with our soul. Because we do that with God sometimes. And the longer we allow shaded or folded areas of our heart to exist, the better we come at living in that darkness and managing the consequences because we've learned how to handle ourselves, all right? So let's say we gained 15, 20 pounds during COVID. No problem. We'll just start wearing loose-fitting clothes, right? Or just start wearing black, right? I heard wearing black makes you look thinner. I told my wife that one time. She said, you got anything any blacker? <laughs> now, granted, trying to hide or shade a few added pounds, it's not all that consequential, but... It's when we start doing that in other areas of our life that we gets us into trouble where we might be tempted to shade or try to hide or disguise these certain things that we know they're wrong, but yet we continue to do them. When we start shading other areas, that's what gets us into trouble. That's why Jesus said, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great 
is that darkness. This idea of the greatness of darkness where we intentionally and willfully allow and tolerate darkness not brought before him, not brought to the Father, isn't something that we should take lightly. You know, God is infinitely merciful. He's abundantly patient. He's incredibly gracious. But that grace and that mercy and that patience really only work where there is a heart that is unfolded and totally open to him. With an eye that looks upon him straight on, not to the side, but straight in his eyes. And that's sometimes uncomfortable if we're harboring darkness, isn't it? All right. So we roll the dice and we continue on, right? We take our chances. We continue to allow that darkness to remain. After all, 1 John 1, 9, we can always repent of it later. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, pastor? Yeah, that's what, that's what the Bible says. But let me remind you what the Bible also says. In Hebrews 10, 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We know the Lord's dealing with our heart, but we refuse to acknowledge it. So I'm just not going to look him straight in the eyes. I'll just kind of look to the side, to the right or to the left. And if I don't, and if I don't look, you know, you know, maybe he'll go away. And then, and then Jesus turns to go away. And I'm not being funny here when I say this. And Jesus turns to go away. And we're like, no, no, Lord, don't. Don't, don't go away. If the light be in you, be darkness, how great is that darkness. The prophet Ezekiel tells us about a sad time in the history of God's people where the, the rulers of Israel had done just this very thing. They played games with God, allowing shaded, folded areas of their heart and pretended like everything was all right when they came before God. Ezekiel 14, verses 1 and 2. Then some of the leaders of Israel visited me, and while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. This is the prophet Ezekiel, God speaking to Ezekiel. The, 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 the leaders of Israel came to the prophet. That's how God spoke to them, through the prophets. They come to the prophet Ezekiel. Hey, we need, a, we need to get some guidance from God. We need to hear from God. Verse 3, son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? And then verse 4, tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message, for a word from me. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. In other words, they have consciously and willfully allowed shaded and folded areas of their heart. But act like everything's all right when they come before God. It's, Lord, Lord, help me, but only help me where I want you to help me. Or, Lord, change me, but only change those areas where I want to be changed. Leave, leave those other areas alone. Here's what the Lord says to Ezekiel. When they come and ask you for a word, when they come and ask for a word from you, I'll give them the kind of answer their idolatry, their willful deceitfulness deserves. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that, God, does that mean God's going to rebuke them? No, 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 no. 
God's already warned them and rebuked them numerous times. They're, they're past the point of being rebuked. They've been warned enough. These folks were at that place where they were saying, I want God in my life, but I want him on my terms. I'll, I'll surrender this and this and this, but not this over here. So God tells Ezekiel, when they come looking for a word from me, I'll answer them. And they're going to think they're receiving the word from the Lord. But the answer that they're going to receive is going to be according to the idols of their heart. Pastor, what does that mean? Well, before we answer that, we need to establish what we're dealing with here. Because please understand that these idols that were being worshipped were not just pieces of stone or, or wood, carved wood or anything. They, they were that but they represented false gods. And behind every false god is a demon spirit, principalities, powers, works of darkness. The worship of an idol was a submission to a satanic influence in a person's life. It wasn't necessarily demonic possession. It could be, but it didn't have to be demonic possession, but rather a realm of demonic influence and manipulation resulting from being under the dominion of darkness rather than light. Lord says, here comes some people who want to get a, give a, a sideways glance to God and get some kind of word. Give me a word, God. Give me a word. But I have to stand sideways because if I go, if I go full on, then, then you might burn some of those areas out of my life. The Lord says this, because they have made those idols their gods instead of making me holy their God, I will answer them according to their idols of heart. Now, here's the frightening reality of that statement. God's saying, you know what? I'm going to let the demons tell them what to do, or I'm going to let their own hearts tell them what to do, and they're going to think it's me telling them what to do, and I'm going to let them think it's me telling them what to do. And when they say, I have the word of the Lord, God says, I'm going to let them think that because they've already chosen their God. If the light within you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Say, Pastor, that kind of scares me. I mean, I already struggle trying to hear from God. I already wonder when I come to God and I pray, I already wonder, am I, am I hearing from God? Is that me? Now you're telling me that there are times that God won't answer me or, or he's going to let me think it's him when in reality it's me or it's a demon spirit or something? Only, listen, only if you consciously and willfully continue to hide or shade some areas of your life or from your heart, from God. And keep in mind, God's not doing this as an act of judgment. He's doing it as an act of mercy to bring us to repentance. The very next verse, verse 5, Ezekiel 14, 5. I will do this to, watch this now, capture the minds and hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. He does that as an act of mercy, not judgment. Listen to me. You don't need to fear that if you're doing what you know to do. I don't think most of us are doing what they did in Ezekiel's day. But we're not beyond doing something like that. What they, they had come to the place where they were living a life and choosing that darkness. I mean, it was calculated. It was premeditated. When they came before God, they took the posture of, I will to have my will, and then had the audacity to come before the Lord and ask, what do you think, God? When they've already made up their mind what they wanted. And God turns and says, this is my word. Your will be done on earth 
but it's not that way in heaven. But you're going to think it is. That's why early on in the model prayer Jesus gave us, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, Jesus, one of the very first steps in the Lord's prayer prayer was to declare God's will over theirs. Remember, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a reason that's at the beginning of the, the prayer template because we need to establish from the very beginning who's in charge. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves and run the risk of thinking we're hearing from God and we're not. You say, Pastor, that seems unfair. Isn't that a little bit harsh? No. No. Not at all. It's unwise of us. It's unwise of us to do anything else other than to simply come and say, you know, God, I'm having a tough time in this area of my life. You know, this decision's hard for me. I'm not even sure if I'm about to do the right thing. All I know is I want to come before you totally open and honest. No folded areas of my heart. No folded areas of my soul. Nothing hidden from you. Just completely open. And I want your glory and your word to burn out those areas of darkness that I've shaded from you in the past. I want to approach you face-to-face, Father. I know there's dark stuff, unfinished stuff, and I don't like the things that happen sometimes, but I'm not hiding anymore, God. I have one priority, and that's your will, Father. Your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, you, you can live in the shadows with enough light to fumble your way to heaven. You can grope around in the darkness and still make it to heaven. But when you, that's, come on, be honest, that's not what you signed up for when you came to Jesus. That, that's the life you were living before. You know, in our previous life, you know, we just kind of got by and we managed the consequences. God's got something so much greater for us. Why would you receive that abundant life that Jesus offers us and then choose to live that old lifestyle? God wants us to live a life where our Our eye is single. Our eye is healthy, not shaded, not folded, but full on open before him and the light of his glory. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, not just now, but from now on, every time we come before you, help us. Help us to do so with integrity of heart, a whole and complete heart as well as singleness of eye, totally open and exposed to you in the light of your glory. Help me, help me to live my life in front of Jesus with no shaded or folded areas, hiding the darkness of any secret sins that I might be holding on to. And as I lift my countenance to look upon your face, Lord, I pray that your glory would burn out all the shadows, any darkness that I might be harboring. Though I fall, lift me up. Though I stumble, Hold me by your hand. Though I'm a sinner, forgive me for Jesus' sake and lead me in your way. Teach me in your truth that will keep keep on setting me free. And if you're here with us this morning or part of our eCampus church watching online, maybe you've never taken that step of faith and invited God, the God who created you, and invites you to call him Heavenly Father. And you've never invited him into your life, into your heart. It would be my honor to pray for you right now so you could do just that. If you would just be willing to pray this simple prayer, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me so so I could have a personal relationship with my creator, God. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he was buried 
and I believe that he rose from the grave three days later. And I now receive that resurrection life that he offers me now by his spirit. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus, and help me begin living my life for you from now on. In Jesus' name, amen.